Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, podcast number three, where we discuss the number one singles from the Australian charts throughout the 1990s. With me once again uh, is Tim Coyle. Howdy. Uh, Casey Atkins. Hello. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Ahoy hoy. Ahoy hoy to you, Tim Byron, and I'm Danny Yao, and we're going to try and get straight into it this week. We've got, uh, we're going to be wrapping up the end of 1990. Having talked about such classics last week as Hearts, All I Want to Do Is Make Love to You, Boo. and other songs. So, <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, but this week, um, we said last week that the, the, the songs were not maybe of the highest order. It will be interesting to see what we feel about this next five batch of songs. And I guess we should just move straight into it with a song that was only number one for one week. On the 27th of October, 1990, and that is Young MC's Bust A Move. Bust it. Fellas, try to do what those ladies tell us. Get shot down cause you're overzealous. Play hard to get females, get jealous. Okay, smarty, go to a party. Girls are scantily clad, it's showing body. A chick walks by, you wish you could sex her, but you're standing on the wall like you was Poindexter. Next day's function, high class luncheon. Food is served in your stone cold munching. Music comes on, people start to dance, but then you ate so much, you nearly split your pants. A girl starts walking, guys start gawking. Sits down next to you and starts talking. Says she wanna dance cause she likes to groove. So come on, fat so and just bust the move. Well, Casey Atkins, do you want to start? Sure thing. Um, I've loved listening to this song this week and I loved it at the time. And I remember um, one of the things that I've thought listening to it this week, um, thinking about the conversation we had last week, is I think this is just a much better example of a pop rap hit than You Can't Touch This Was. Um, it stands up so much better. It's got a story. It's clever. The rhyming's really cool. I remember, um, I remember loving it. I remember loving the lines like the, um, you know, she's dressed in yellow. She says hello and things. I just, I love that at the time. I love it now. A couple of things that you hear, um, who you listen to as an adult and you think of, um, <laughs> you wonder how you interpret it as a, as a 10 year old. I don't think, um, I really would have thought in terms of, you know, you're feeling really firm because the girl was stacked <laughs> when I was 10. But, um, but no, it's just great. It's absolutely great. Um, loved a bit. That's all I have to say. Tim Byron, what about you? Well, this one's a funny one because I don't think I remember this from 1990. Like, I don't have much memory of it at the time. Like, so I guess the radio stations and stuff I was exposed to just weren't playing rap at this point. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I think I missed out on this one at the time. So I, I don't really have much memory of it, but over the years I've heard it here and there, and so I, I listen to it and I'm like, oh yeah, it's that song, and and yeah, so it's so not really knowing it at the time, I sort of have come to it as an adult, and yeah, it's definitely the best of the crop of um, pop rap songs from this time. Like it's you know it's so much ahead of Ice Ice Baby or or You Can't Touch This, and um, yeah, like Casey said, there's the clever rhymes. Yeah, you know, I like the one about um, sexed. Her and then Poindexter, so that was um, yeah. <laughs> also slightly cringy but slightly good. 
Uh, and th- the thing I liked about the song is it's kind of self-depreciating, uh, sorry, self-deprecating. Yeah. Like, um, you know, Hammer is all about stop, it's Hammer time, and, like, Villain Ice takes it to the extreme. But, you know, young MC is sort of, like, <laughs> you know, he's sort of shy, he, 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 he wants to bust a move, but, like, he, he's got to work out the confidence. And, and I like, kind of like that self-deprecatory kind of thing. It's different in rap in that point. Tim Coyle, what about you? Yeah, I, I've got to really agree largely with what Casey said. Uh, it, coming up to this week, I gave it a little bit more thought and to be honest, I couldn't remember a tremendous amount of my reactions to this song at the time, I guess because it was only number one for a week. Uh, it, it may not have hung around in the, in the consciousness uh, as much as it might have, but my... Upon hearing that we were going to be covering it this week, I, I got excited and listening to it again. It, it really is just. Did you get, did you get a little <laughs> I got, I got the very song burnt. Is <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've got to really concur with what uh, Tim Byron and Casey have said. It's head and shoulders above all the other pop rap or bubblegum rap that we've encountered thus far and everything from the from the baseline and the, the clever use of samples and the the rapping is just a, a totally different beast to what we encountered with Hammer last week and other items that we listened to this week. And the 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 lyrics are very much of their time, and there's there's an element to them that sa- sounds a little like every whinging divorcee commenting on the Fairfax websites or MRA uh, MRA folk, but the self-deprecatory humour does undercut that a bit and it just has a sense of fun. Mm. Yeah. I definitely remember this song as well from back in the day. Like, not one of my favourites, but, yeah, it was a pleasure to listen to uh, after all these years. It's not as dated as some of the other songs that we've talked about as well. Mm. It's not as dated as other songs that are in the charts. There's something quite raw about the production, just like, you know, definitely compared to the big shiny, shiny of You Can't Touch This. And, yeah, still a cool lyric, still stands up. His performance of it is pretty cool. Uh, The film clip was sort of fine. It didn't look too embarrassing. He didn't have a look that, you know, he didn't have a stupid haircut. Uh, I don't know much about Young MC, really, really? but he I feel like he was... an economics uh, graduate, I think. <laughs> you know quite a bit about Young <laughs> MC, it seems. <laughs> and since, I think he starred in Up in the Air recently, the George Clooney film. So, right. So, was he, yeah, did he so play, he's had a pretty varied career. Did he play the Anna Kendrick role? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess, yeah, I think it's a great song as well. The thing that um, I find interesting about this song is that it did get to number one. There were so many other songs around this time that were kind of like this, be it Tone Loke or... Uh, Tone Loke. Yeah. I was trying to think of Tone Loke. <laughs> well, is it, is it, but isn't Young MC featured on Funky Cold Medina? I'm not sure. I think he is. Right. Well, they, they toured here together about mm. uh, uh, a while ago, probably about six or seven years ago. I remember this... Um, Legends of Hip Hop kind of tour, <laughs> and it was Young MC and, and Tone Loke, and I was just thinking, what, what two songs? Do you get two songs? <laughs> <laughs> you get well, you're, you're right, actually, Tim Coyle. It's, uh, yeah, he was on both Wild Thing and Funky Cold Medina, so there you go. Uh, 
the song that this song really reminds me of, though, was a song that I looked it up today, came out a month before, which is uh, in September 1990, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air started. Uh, And the the way that it's a high school song, a story song, and just like that Fresh Prince of Bel-Air song is so like it's it is a great it's it's a good song it's also it's a great tv theme tune above all other things but also the the slight difference in say will smith's rapping which is a lot cockier Mm. than young mc's which is a little more wry uh than than say the fresh prince of yeah it's interesting with this song i think because um I looked it up, and this song actually came out and was a hit in 1989 in America. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so it's actually, by the time it got to number one in Australia, it was a year old. And it had just won a Grammy, and I reckon that's what did it. Okay. Right. Well, so I'll... people maybe saw the Grammy telecast in Australia and thought, oh, that's a cool song, and it slowly sort of went up the charts. But yeah, so, like, I, I can only imagine that, like, you know, after MC Hammer got big, like, the record company's like, shit, what do we, we need to find some other rap song that's good. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that, there's that one from last year. We'll give him that. That's what I imagine happened. Is that how it works, Danny? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you, you just go through your, like, that's exactly what happened when Britney Spears got big and the record companies just went, we have Christina Aguilera, we have Jessica Simpson, we have all these other people on the books. Let's, uh, let's make them look a little bit more girlish and sexy and, mm. and make really sexy girlish film clips and see what happens. So, and the rest is history. Yeah, happens with with so many types of music. I was actually surprised to um, to hear just now that it was only number one for a week because it was around, I remember it really well from the time, seemingly a lot better than, than everybody else. I remember seeing the clip a lot. It must have hung around towards the top of the charts for quite a while. Mm. Or maybe I just particularly liked it so I kind of sort it out, but I really did. You still like hear it all the time. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, I don't know, it's like House of Pain. It's like... Yeah. All those sort of songs, hip hop hooray, yeah. Body by nature, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's just they all had sort of one big song and those were all great sort of pop songs and it does differ a little bit from those in a way, and this is a very minimalist hip hop song. It's it's very it's actually very much in that original spirit of there isn't a whole lot going on in that backing track. What is going on is great, but mm. it's it is minimalistic. It's uh, there's nothing there other than the bare essentials, and I think that kind of brings the the uh, young MCs rapping to the forefront and lets some of that lyrical dexterity we've been talking about take over, and I guess lodges it in your mind a little more than what it otherwise might. And there's so much more to work with. Like you don't need you didn't need the the, the huge production of you can't touch this to mask the fact that there's butter or else going on in that song. <laughs> Really did you guys discover? Sorry, did you guys discover who um, is playing bass on this song? No, tell me. Flea. Is oh, it really? he was in the film clip too. Uh-huh. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. So he it? gets around, gone from young MC to Tom York. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, one thing I was thinking about this song was that, in a way, it's sort of about the tension between, you know, between seeing women as objects, like, you know, the women are stacked and all that kind of stuff. And sort of coming to grips with the fact that women have, like, their own desires and opinions and things that they like and you have to negotiate between those things, between what you want as a teenager and what the girls want. And it's sort of about that kind of negotiation. You know, all the stuff about, you know, got no money, got no car, then you got no woman. That that kind of stuff. There you are. So there you are. Which 
Yeah, which <laughs> goes into a little bit of what I was saying earlier. Is that's very much a cliche rant of the the, uh, the the guy who can't get any, as it were. But you know, I, I listen to I this said, song and I don't see it as like a sort of a whingy rant. Sort of more matter of fact. I, 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 yeah, I, do, I don't either. I don't see it as a, as a rant. There's a sense of fun and as itself, the self-deprecation really undercuts that. And, yeah, there's, a, there's that kind of element he's pointing out, but it's very it's a very self-aware song in yeah. that way. And I, lo- I love the lyric. I, I think a lot of the rhyming is really clever and possibly my favourite is that the girl walks down to start the wedding and that's one more girl you won't be getting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Has anyone oh. heard... The album, Stockholm Rhyming? No. It's no. apparently the claimed album. <laughs> it was on Rhino and I never got a copy when I worked there, so I feel bad. And it's actually reading about it this week, I feel like I should get it. It's five-star reviews across the board. Really? And yeah. But what's interesting is it came from an indie label and then, like, Rhino picked it up, but then they signed to... Then he signed to Capital for a couple of records and then he had no career. And that's, I guess... The other thing I really want to bring up about... Young MC, she's what happened to this guy? Like, so apparently he was in a movie, but like, and he's well, and did, does the the odd monsters of hip hop show? I don't know whether he kind of, you know, maybe there's a career in that. Maybe look, maybe there's a decent amount of residual from this bloody song too. Oh yeah, Even sure. Knows. But but, but it's all circles, so maybe not. Yeah, true. Yeah. But he also had other things to fall back on. As I said, he was a an economics graduate. We're talking about about a guy who would have had other options outside of... He went and worked for Goldman Sachs or something. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know about that. Busted a move at Wall Street. (laughs) (laughs) And from what is a very great, underproduced, raw, fun track to this song. Uh, (laughs) Number one for two weeks, so twice as long as Busted Move. It's Skyhooks with Jukebox in Siberia. I don't really have any real special feelings of this song except that it's just weird and fun. And it's the first time I ever heard Skyhooks. It's a band that I've gone back and, and love. But yeah, it's just a. I guess there's a part of me that's just fascinated by how weird it is, what they're wearing, what the song's about. Uh, just. And I guess maybe we'll come back to this in a second, but just the fact that. That guy I kept watching on Hey Heat Saturday was yeah. really mad. But let's go around. Let's go around the room. Tim Coyle, what did you think of this song? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, the, uh, to to start at the beginning, uh, I loved it at the time, 
And I, d- I think part of that might be, and my memory might be faulty here. So if it is, I apologize. And Casey might be able to help me with this one. But my memory is that um, it, there was buzz around this song because it premiered on an episode of Hey Hey, It's Saturday. Now, I'm not sure if NBN, which is the regional subsidiary of Channel 9, was available in Tamworth at the time, but this seems to be my memory of it. And obviously, Hey Hey, It's Saturday had their own interest in in pushing this song. But there was a buzz around it as some kind of event, and then the clip comes on and these guys were dressed really weird, uh, dancing around and, again, being quite odd. So, like Danny, this was my first exposure for two Skyhooks, and I asked for the record this was on for Christmas and received it, and it was all... The record it was on was a best of the Skyhooks. So here you have a nine-year-old listening to Living in the 70s nice. and Party to End All Parties. And you only like it because you're good in bed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the songs I didn't really understand at the time. And, uh, look, listening it to it this week, I really just wanted to crack my skull open on the, <laughs> on the seat in front of me on the bus. It's uh, It's... If ever the word omni-shambles was appropriate, this song is just, it's, it's, a, it's a fucking mess. <laughs> no way! <laughs> Maybe we'll leave you to last case. Tim Byron, right. what do you think of this song? Well, yeah, like you both, um, I, I can't sort of hear this song without thinking, hey, hey, it's Saturday. Um, because, you know, I think my me and my parents always watch that on a Saturday night. And, um, and, you know, Red Simons was on it and you kind of knew that he was something that, and it was weird to, you know, for him to, to do with the red faces, the kind of stuff and to say, you know, this is crap and that's good to all these people and then discover, oh yeah, he can actually play guitar and stuff. And, um, so I actually went and found footage of them playing it, like miming it on, um, on Hey Hey It's Saturday and they all dressed up in weird clothes, like the drummer's wearing this sort of sparkly purple, like sort of singlet and a cap and a cap that's the same color and it kind of looks like you know he'd get beaten up by the police if he was out on saturday (laughs) (laughs) and and, um yeah so i think at the time i thought it was great but listening to it now i'm pretty sure that the reason that i thought it was great was because it basically sounds like the wiggles and i was eight years old <laughs> it's kind of got that cheeriness and that silliness oh. of the wiggles, and you can sort of tell that Sherl is like enjoying, like saying words like Vladivostok and Gorky Park and all that kind of thing. Gla- but like, well, he was glad Glasnost was here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like to, to me, like I listen to it now as as an adult, and it's awful. I, I have the same Omni Shambles kind of reaction to to Tim Coyle. I mean, for, for me, it's sort of. Like, it just lacks the sort of sex and the menace of Skyhooks in the 70s. Like, you know, they were rebels in the 70s. They were talking about all this stuff that hadn't previously been talked about in Australian rock and roll. And so, like, then you get this kind of thing. And, like, it's got that kind of 80s drums that are so mechanical and metronomic. It doesn't... that There's no swagger. There's no groove to it. It's, it's like... It's like, hey, hey, it's Saturday. It, it's just like... <laughs> you know, it, it's everything... Everything that was wrong with, hey, hey, it's Saturday is also wrong with Jukebox in Siberia. I have to say, though, I don't think there were that many songs about that jukebox in Siberia, so they were covering new ground with that track. So, <laughs> Casey? Fuck you all, I'm going <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, 
again, the Hat Hat Saturday thing. Um, Tim Coyle's right in that I don't think we're even properly getting Hat Hat Saturday in Tamworth by 1990, but I also remember that we had someone, we had a friend with like a ultra high-powered aerial that used to pick it up and tape Hey Hey at Saturday for us. <laughs> and, yep. Oh, yeah. And it um, really did happen. Yeah. this That was the world that we lived in. We couldn't just like, you know, torrent it. Um, I'm, that's exactly what I went to in my brain. I wonder if I could torrent an episode <laughs> of Hey Hey at Saturday. It's, it's probably all on YouTube. Yeah. But, um... So I don't know whether I, I happened to, to watch the, the episode that it was launched. I seem to remember it launching, um, or I definitely remember it being a, a hit. Um, look, the words are dumb, I'll give you that. But I actually think that the um, uh, the, the band track is great. I, I think that the, the guys in Skyhooks um, have actually got a really great, to guitar thing going on and um this song is is as good an example as any um it's a it's a good riff they've got a really kind of nice interplay thing that plays you know in you know one in your left ear and one your right ear throughout the verse the soloing is is it is what it is and it's not it's not amazing but they've always had this real or did always have a really really nice interplay thing if you listen to a song like horror movie or something where the two guitar parts are doing something really distinctly different, but they interplay so beautifully. And I think that there's something similar going on in this. Yeah, it's not as hard-edged or sexy or anything like that, and it's just a, a bit of a silly pop song, but I, I still love it. I, I really, really enjoy the Do you like Skyhooks? Well. Yeah. 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 Uh, I like Skyhooks. What about, what about Tim Coyle? Do you like Skyhooks? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. I think living in the 70s is an outrageously good well, not even good. It's a great, great song, and yeah, the, the a lot of a lot of that seventies work is incredibly cutting edge and daring and brave. A horror movie being about the Vietnam War is just it's it's a great song, and it's a lot of the thematic content was it, obviously they did stupid party stuff as well, but a lot of the thematic content, as Tim Byron said, was just stuff that was completely verboten at the time. You didn't talk about it. You definitely didn't sing about it and get a song on the radio about it, but Skyhooks did that. And maybe part of having grown into that and grown into that knowledge is also what takes this song down quite a few notches (laughs) for me listening to it this week. Tim Byron, what about you? Like, How do you feel about Skyhooks? Yeah. Do they mean anything to you? Yeah, Skyhooks, I, I like them enough to... Um, I've got, like, the two-for-one that has Living in the 70s and then the next record... Um, ego is not a dirty yeah, word. Yeah, Ego is not a dirty word. And, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I like all the singles. They're, they're cool, and I agree with Tim Coyle about it. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, Skyhooks are good. Um, they're, they're not something that would you know blows me away when I hear them, like, with their daringness now, because they're kind of tame, really, compared to what we listen to now. But, um, yeah, Skyhooks are good. Well, one of the things about this song that I actually wanted to ask all of you about is it's a, it's a song that talks about, uh, you know, putting 45s, it talks about 45s and, um, and yeah. jukeboxes and stuff like that. At this point in time, how are you listening to music? Because uh, at this point in time, like 1990, I'm pretty sure I had a disc, like, not a disc, but a Walkman by this point and tapes. And so I would listen to tapes in my Walkman. Like, uh, is that how you guys were listening to music? 
That's a really great question to ask. Um, Thank you. I was <laughs> I was listening to a lot of cassettes. I didn't have a CD player until I was twelve, so ninety two was when I got my first CD player. Um, but I was also listening to a lot of vinyl. My parents had a record player and a modest collection, and they had some Beatles stuff and some Buddy Holly and some Elvis and all of that kind of stuff that your parents have, you know, and her velvet and T one and Russell. <laughs> Whatever. And some Beach Boys and and um, so I was I was listening to to a lot of that stuff on on vinyl over and above whatever I had on on cassette hipster <laughs> <laughs> and your children are still probably going to listen to that stuff isn't it that's the thing but yeah except we don't have a record player at home so it's got no chance <laughs> Tim Coyle what about you uh, cassettes definitely cassettes I, I think at this stage I, I had a Walkman and yeah. It's, we we didn't get a CD player until like 1994 or something like that, which I think is a fair bit later than, than what most people. No, most was, people. My mum had a CD player in like the early 90s, but I didn't get one of my own that I could listen to my own music on until 95 or so. Uh, I wouldn't have had my own. I wouldn't have had my own Disman or CD player until about 1997 or so. <laughs> I possibly had the first in our house. No, or maybe my older brother had one before I did. Yeah, he had one before I did, and then I had a. Then I got the next one, and yeah. yeah. But it, it, it was definitely yeah, yeah. It was definitely cassettes, and I think maybe even part of the appeal of this song is it's a jukebox. There was an allure about that, yeah. that thing, and there was an allure about forty fives and, and vinyl. Yeah, and that's I, th- I think because I was listening to a lot of that vinyl at the time, I knew what a forty five was mm. and what it meant, and mm. and so that kind of spoke to me. And I, I had a little bit of. Um, Knowledge of the Beatles and stuff, and they talk about the Beatles and Chuck Berry, and I was start, I was kind of getting into playing guitar by that stage as well, so hearing about Chuck Berry and yeah, I, it just all kind of spoke to me at the time, and I have a real fondness for it now. I haven't really lost any of that fondness <laughs> that I had. Um, I just listened to the radio. I don't think I've got oh, a really? player or anything like that for till way after this. No cassettes, right? No, not really. Not no. that I remember. Uh, I do remember probably around this time, maybe getting the first one and, and someone lending me up to a baby or a cassette. Nice. But that was not out yet now where we are in history. So, yeah, that's the first one I can really remember having a cassette. And then I remember there was a neutro cassette and then that, yeah. So <laughs> now about my cassette collection for a long time. Uh, but I, my similar question to Tim Byron's is, did you guys know what a Siberia was? <laughs> no, I think I found <laughs> out. I think somebody, I, I think I asked. Yeah. <laughs> what it meant. <laughs> Tim Byron? I think I would have known what a Siberia was at this point because I was just a, like, a- as a child, I just, like, ate information. I wanted to know mm. everything. So I'm pretty sure I remember having, like, a-, a book of atlases and I would just look through things and go, ooh, that's where that is and that's where that is. So I think I probably would have known what Siberia was and I think I probably would have had some idea that it was pretty cold. Uh, is there anything else to know about Siberia apart from, you know, gulags and Russianness? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how much of the rest of the song did you get? Um, I probably would have got sort of various references here and there. I mean, I think I think at the time I was aware of like the Berlin Wall and, and stuff like that to some extent. I think I remember seeing that on TV and knowing that it was important, but not really understanding why. Mm. Yeah. See, I don't have really any. Yeah. Well, I, I think, remember that coming. Down. Yeah, I think I think this is. I mean, yeah, the Berlin Wall uh, coming down is kind of. And this is this is actually 
a subtext and I think, I mean, if this song is about anything, it's, well, it's that line, I'm so glad Glasnost is here. It's kind of, okay, Cold War's over, let's party. Yeah. I guess is kind of what it's about, even though, even even if that's what it's trying to do, it was pretty miserably, but... Uh, this next track was, now this surprised me as well, number one for one week on the 17th of November 1990. One week only, D-Light's Groove is in the Heart. Dig! What do you reckon? Why don't you start? This um, made me think of a conversation we had when we were talking about Love Shack two weeks ago where um, Tim Byron asked me if Love Shack was the type, was a song that I would play in my cover band and I said no, but only because we don't have a girl to sing it. And this is another one that's, that's right there. <laughs> <laughs> this would be number two if Love Shack was number one on that list. Um, what a riff, man. What a great riff. It's just absolutely classic. And talking about... Um, famous bass player cameos like we did before. This is um, the one, the only Bootsy Collins. Um, oh, it's, it's it's great. And I loved it at the time and I really always enjoy it when I hear it now. However, strangely enough, when I was listening to my sort of playlist of this week, um, I could only take it a couple of times. You know, I, I um, bust a move, I... And actually, Shootbox and Siberia, I could just keep playing. <laughs> um, but this one, I could only take a couple of, yeah, a, a couple of times in a row. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Tim Byron? Yeah, with this one, um, it's another one, and there's going to be a few of them from 1990, and there'll be less and less of them as it comes on, but it's another one I don't really remember from the time. I think about this song, and I think I first recall hearing it when I started listening to Triple J in like the mid '90s, because Triple J would play it every so often, and the DJ would be like, "Now there's a song." And um, yeah, I remember that. I remember hearing it on Triple J too. Yeah, mm. and I think I also remember seeing the video clip for it quite a bit on uh, on Red, which was Channel V before it was Channel V in the mid '90s. And, and so yeah, for this one, um, like I recall hearing it then, and I remember sort of thinking, "Oh yeah, this is a nice sort of fun dance song." Um, but yeah, it, it never really made much impression on me one way. It was just like one of those songs. It's just there. It doesn't yeah. matter whether I like it or not. It's just there. <laughs> what about you, Tim Coyle? Yeah. Uh, unlike the Young MC song, which I have vague recollections about, I remember this one, Clear as a Bell, uh, largely because of the video clip, which you can't ignore. It was uh, <laughs> in there in all its day glow <laughs> glory. <laughs> But yeah, this is I, I find this song pretty irresistible. It's just the the bass line and it's just replete with so many hawks. It's it, even listening to it now, 
mm. it's so much fun and it just works not on a whole not on a great deal of levels but on all the right ones i i love this song too but i get your point casey that it's not something that i listen to a lot and if i hear it in a club maybe after a couple of years of not ever hearing it great yeah if i was to go to the same club every week and they played it every week it would probably yeah i don't know there's not much to it yeah it's fun it brings up a feeling of nostalgia for when i remember this song it was fun but yeah i i guess it's kind of because of that just short of real greatness for me great song great pop song sits alongside other great pop songs but yeah kind of fine if this song was just the bass and the drums do you think it would at least be a top 20 single oh yeah definitely i mean that's it right but the her vocal and the lyric and oh it's a great performance and i I think yeah. what Tim Coyle said about the video cannot be taken for granted as well. There was that Love Shack thing, that 50s bubblegum Benny mm. Boo, who was also really big around the time. Uh, <laughs> that look and feel that the whole sort of lava lamps and Bootsy and that just sort of helped sell that song. Well, I don't the, think it was just the bass as the, good as that backing track was. Yeah, the, the return of 60s fashion and style at the time, we start to see this even more as we go on. Yeah, it's... It's interesting to me, like with the the sixties and seventiesness of a, a lot of these songs, like one way or another, they sort of a lot of them go back to sixties or seventies, and like you can sort of see at this point that people are tired of the eighties and they're tired of the way things sound in the eighties, but they're not quite sure where to go from here, and so you get lots of things. I mean, this is an interesting one like that in a lot of ways because it's uh, because it's got all these sixties and seventies kind of stuff. Like it, it's got the kind of the the bass riff is actually a sample from. Uh, the soundtrack to the movie The Blow Up, which came out in 1966 and was by uh, Herbie Hancock. And um, so it's, it's got that kind of 60s, kind of psychedelic swinging 60s in London kind of thing going on. But at the same time, it's super hip hoppy. Like it, it's all samples. It's got like the hip hop beats. It's got scratching in it. It's got, um, you know, Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest is um, the rapping in it. It's got Bootsy Collins and, and hip hop just love that kind of Bootsy Collins bass and that kind of like, you know, that kind of, uh, groove and that kind of bass. So it's, yeah, it, it's this weird um, mix of like 60s and 70s stuff and really kind of to the moment stuff of like what it was like to be in 1990. And I think that's a really cool and interesting thing about it. But but it was also, it's, I mean, the, the song isn't necessarily about much, but the the tone of it is very optimistic. And a lot of that, uh, the 60s style and coming and the colours coming back, it's, a little bit of an age of Aquarius thing coming yeah, back yeah, in, I agree. in the early 90s, a uh, degree of optimism. Yeah, and I agree. Like, Groove is in the Heart is sort of like, it's like a mantra, like the same way all you need is love is a mantra. It's mm. the kind of thing that both simultaneously means everything and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, but the, the, the meaning is the word groove for me. Like, that's like the, like a, the fact that the word groove, which, you know, connotations of the 60s and something groovy and Austin Powers stuff. It's just, that's the only thing that that phrase really means. The, the other thing that I think this one um, sort of reminds me of and maybe had something to do with it is that kind of the world discovering ecstasy at about this point. And so there was sort of a summer of love in 1989 <laughs> or so. I don't think ecstasy really got Australia. Oh, it didn't. It wouldn't have got. Oh, no, it would have got to Australia. But this is the no, time it when stopped, it was stopped in immigration. Yeah, Ma- Manchester is 
just starting up around now as well, which is also ecstasy-soaked and has a lot of stylistic similarities with, with what's going on with Groovers in the Heart. Yeah. I think that's why it charted in the UK. And I think that whole thing, and you listen to, like, so many songs around that era just has that dance piano thing, like Freedom, that Freedom 90 song by George Michael. Like, it just, uh, but it just doesn't really... I don't think Euphoria was there, the other one with all that dance piano stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There are a million songs with that dance piano, like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that really came from that, but that was second generation, you know, that was well beyond the Hacienda stuff. But but even more hip things like that, the Mondays and Primal Scream had elements of this going on there. Yeah. Yeah. With the loops and samples Mm. and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I don't think D-Light would in any ultimate reality be seen supporting Primal Scream. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, not re- it's not really what I'm suggesting, but there's... Like, finally, touring together at last. But there's a family resemblance there. Yeah. And it's it's kind of, this is where that style of music is gaining traction in Australia because Primal Scream and Happy Mondays never really took off here in their prime. I know Primal Scream had a couple of... Their biggest single in Australia probably would have been Rocks Off a couple of years after this. But the Stone Roses were in the charts with uh, Fool's Gold around this time as well. They meant nothing. That was just... Yeah, they didn't get played on any radio station. That was just from Backpackers. That song was just so important in the UK. Maybe a little bit on Triple J, but it's... And She Bangs the Drums got played on Triple J, but they would... It's really surprising the Stone Roses just toured and... Played last night. Yeah, and... To uh, a lukewarm reception. Really, the crowd, the crowd went mild. The crowd went mild. Uh, well, just well, judging from seen, today's, so. yeah, judging from today's Facebook and Twitter feeds, it was a little bit yeah. um, ordinary in places, apparently. <laughs> so, just getting back to D Light. Oh yeah, that's what we're talking about. Once again, what happened to them? What happened? And what? So, was D Light her, or was it a band? It was a bad name. She was like Miss Kerr or Miss Kia or something like that. Lady Miss Kia. Lady Miss Kia, yeah. I believe. And the last thing we heard of her, I think she was in a lawsuit with Sega because she thought they'd, they'd stolen her likeness for a character in a video game. Oh, so she's, <laughs> so she's a bit strapped then. Yeah, she lost that case and was and had to pay the legal expenses for Sega, which yeah, was so pretty substantial, I imagine. But I think cut a deal whereby one of her songs was used in a subsequent game. Right. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> the, the other, is it Toa Tay, who's the other guy? That who's, sounds right. He's yeah. just done so many solo records, and I'm pretty sure I've sort of worked in labels where he, he's had a deal, but I've never worked on his records. And so he's just sort of around in the DJ scene. But, yeah, I don't know the story of why D-Light themselves broke up. Why Was there even another single? Yeah, there was an album. There's a couple of albums. that. First album, it's an album cover you definitely recognise. It's well click, and it, it sold a lot. But yeah, and it was fun. But again, sort of like B fifty two, it was just an of the moment thing. And it's really interesting, especially Tim Byron saying that you know, nineteen ninety one is where things really start coming alive. It just feels like, yeah, I guess Tim Byron would agree with me. It's just we're just sort of waiting for something to happen at this point, and all this music that was coming out was kind of attempts to do something new and, this, and then something just came and trampled on it. Yep. Uh, I yeah, I, I agree with that to an extent, but I think with songs like Grooms and Heart and also like Buster Move, we're getting intimations of what's to come. Mm. 
and yeah, what happens subsequently, and also obviously grunge is on the horizon. And listening to what we've listened to these past couple of weeks, it comes from nowhere in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. But also with what's going on as far as rap and hip hop are concerned, it's, yeah, there, there are intimations of that coming through here. Well, I guess unless there's not anything else about D-Light for us to talk about, we should move on. I've got nothing else to say about D-Light. <laughs> yep, that's except, right. except for the fact that when I hear the song again in another six months' time, I'll love it. Well, speaking of progress and things moving ahead, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about a song that was number one for seven weeks or uh, <laughs> well, that's a bit of a spoiler, guys. 20, from the 24th of November for six weeks, over Christmas, and then one week in 1991, here's the Righteous Brothers with Unchained Melody. Oh, my love, my darling, I've Okay, well, Tim Byron, we haven't started with you yet. What do you think of this song? Well, I knew, I knew this song at the time because I, I remember seeing Ghost. Like, I think we maybe had taped it off TV. So maybe I saw it a couple of years later. Or at the, you know, who knows? Who knows? But um, I, I very much associate this song with the movie Ghost. And, um, you know, Ghost at the kind of movie at the time was that kind of movie that was like it was, it was funny enough that I wanted to watch it, but then there are all the like the icky, romanticy kind of things in it. Because like Whoopi Goldberg, she was funny in, <laughs> in it. Like you know, that was all funny, and I like the kind of you know idea of her being a psychic who actually suddenly hears voices for the first time in reality. Um, but then there was that sort of like sad, sloppy love story about like a guy who's dead, and um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of one of those sort of weird things. Um, but it's 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 just one of those songs and one of those sort of movies that's part of pop culture now like you know there's that episode of community where um tony hale is the teacher and that he does a pottery class and his one rule is no ghosting that there, there is to be no like leaning over another people and there's to be no singing of the song and um you know that they make you know light of this and it's funny but like you know they didn't have to explain what that was in that in that in that tim, tv show tim coyle what about you oh god uh, i i hated, hated, hated this song at the time. And it was interesting listening to it this week on the audio, the audio playlist that Casey puts together for us. It comes on after Young MC and Delight, <laughs> which are two pretty hip and groovy songs. And this is going to be the widest thing you will ever hear. Uh, it's, yeah, this is. I actually thought this week. You know what? If Elvis was doing this, it'd be great. And of course, Elvis did do it, and it was great. Mm. But 
yeah, this is just, ugh, it's, it's hideous. <laughs> yeah. And also, Ghost was a film I liked at the time. I was starting to actually develop an interest in the occult, which you know, was weird. But <laughs> <laughs> we, I think that we, was going around at the time, though. Yeah, I developed yeah. an interest in the occult as well. Yeah, weird considering how things turned out for me. But, <laughs> yeah, that, that film, in retrospect, was... Pretty, pretty awful and features one of the all-time horrendous performances from Debbie Moore. Tasty Atkins, what do you think of this? Oh, I couldn't stand it, can't stand it now. <laughs> I didn't, um... You know, I've never even seen Ghost. I never even watched the movie. Really? Yeah. You know the scene that we're talking about? Yeah, totally, yeah. because it's been, like, I've, I've seen the original scene a number of times and I've just seen it done and referenced so many times as well. But this song reminds me of, um... And, Tim Coyle might be able to uh, to echo this as well, but um, I remember when this was big, I guess because it was big over at Christmas time, it must have been all in Tamworth alongside all of the other awful Johnny Cash covers that all of us were playing. Everyone was doing this as well during the Country Music Festival. Well, this song was a standard even before it re-entered the charts, but yeah. this brought it back with the vengeance. Yeah, ab- absolutely. But I um, managed to make myself get through it from start to finish only once this week when I was <laughs> listening to the songs. The vocal performance is actually really impressive. Oh, it's, 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 it's outstanding, but it's but it's just limp, limp and and boring. Um, it's interesting. I'd forgotten about that Elvis performance. Um, I think it's like a. Live at the Sands or Live in Hawaii it's or something, and Elvis is playing the piano. It's, yeah, and he's it's singing, one of the later performances. Yeah, and it's like it's Fat Elvis in a jumpsuit. Yeah. And he's playing a piano, and it's incredible. Oh, it's, it's stunning. This song was made for Elvis, and it's actually quite a good song when you yeah. break it down into actual what's going on within it and as a song. And yeah, it's made for, it's made for Elvis, but it wasn't made for two honkies no. just <laughs> whimpering it out. It's, <laughs> See, I, I did, like, Danny hasn't said what he said yet, but I didn't get to sort of say what I actually think about the song now, and I think it's great. I don't think it's, like, two whimpering honkies. It's it's some guy who's really, like, emoting about stuff, and there's some really, like, it's a really great vocal performance. The production is very Phil Spector-y because it's produced by Phil Spector, Phil who Spector. was a celebrity producer of the time, like the Neptunes are sort of now. And, um, oh, my God. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Um, so, Danny. I, I, th- I think it's a good song. I'm... Yeah, I, I need to reiterate that. <laughs> yeah, this is a great track. I just, I love the, this version of this song. Really? I, I Yeah, I again have the associations with Ghost. I totally remember seeing Ghost back in the day and much like Tim Byron said, the love stuff was icky and I'm not saying that back in the day, just icky now to watch it. And <laughs> But yeah, this, well, so this track was the second uh, Righteous Brothers track to come into my life because of the film. And the first is in Top Gun, where they do You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Right. Which is, I think, a far better song and a far better produced song. But this song, I think, is right up there. It is, like Tim Byron said, Phil Spector at his stupidly pompous. It is, you know, it's not two honkies. It's one. It's Bobby, who's got the higher voice, just singing on his own. It's... Yeah, it's no more schlocky than anything else Spectre was doing at the time. It was big strings. It was River Deep Mountain High. And, 
Yeah, the only thing that really gives it the uncool factor, I think, is dogs. You know, mm. it was used in this terrible, terrible movie that, uh, yeah, that doesn't really stand up. It's just a, it's just a punchline for sitcoms now. And yeah. yeah, it's made for that scene is made for like The Simpsons to rip the shit out of it. <laughs> now, I do remember though, clearly trying to understand. It, okay, so the other thing about this song for me that I clearly remember was that hearing on the radio all the time, knowing what it is, and not knowing what the name of the song was. <laughs> it was part of a soundtrack for a film called yeah. Unchained, I believe. Yeah. Therefore, it's the melody from Unchained. Yes, but yeah, I didn't so that, that movie was from the mid '50s, and so the yeah. song had been sort of, you know, floating around the ether like for ten years before the Righteous Brothers recorded it in '65. I think '65 is when they yeah, released it, and it yeah. was yeah, it was a number three single in Australia in 1965. I went and looked today, so there you go. Yeah, and I remember someone telling me it was called Unchained Melody, and. Uh, I just didn't understand why. Yeah. Why was it chained in the first place? Who's well, doing the unchaining? What's going on? <laughs> so what was the um, the Faith No More song we listened to last week called Epic? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those things. In fact, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about how um, oh, it's just like Gangnam Style is so stupid when, when you translate the lyrics, it doesn't make sense. And I was like, have you ever thought about what Bohemian Rhapsody means? Yeah. And that's, that song title isn't in there and it just, you know, lyrical sense is very overrated. I was funny because I was going to bring up um, Bohemian Rhapsody in this, um, in this conversation because um, of the idea of songs, like quite old songs, actually making a reappearance in the charts. Um, yeah, there was like quite a lot said, of... Yeah, that, there was a, quite a lot of that at the time because, um, yeah, like like you said, there's Bohemian Rhapsody, which was uh, late ninety one, and because of and what was Bohemian Rhapsody because of Wayne's World? I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's too because of movies mm. to the point yeah. where I think there was a recut of the film clip with footage from Wayne's World. Yeah, there yeah. was. Yeah. So you know that's yeah that's about as yeah you know to give it their play, and there was all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, yeah. Um, there were, there were lots of there was in the nineties looking at the charts like uh, Black Betty by Ram Jam mm. uh, was was in the charts for some reason that makes no sense to me and if you look at the UK charts um, <laughs> Steve so Miliband was in number one uh, got to number one in nineteen ninety with the original version of the Joker why I think an ad I think maybe oh, right. it was in a Levi's <laughs> ad or something like that uh, I think the more okay. pertinent question is why not. But. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, if, if you want to start me talking about the Steve Miller band, then I will, but you probably don't want that for the sake of time. Yeah. Uh, we, well, we could go on all night. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our final track of the night. So, number one for three weeks in 1991. We're finally into 1991. It is Vanilla Ice with Ice, Ice Baby. VIP. Let's kick it. Lights 
and I'll glow To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle Dance! Caress a speaker that booms I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom Deadly! When I play a dope melody Anything less than the best is a felony Love it or leave it, you better gain weight You better hit bullseye, the kid don't play If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it well, Tim Byron, once again, do you want to start with this? Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, where do you stand on this uh, on this track? Yeah, to, to my eight-year-old years, like, Vanilla Ice, he seemed sort of dangerous. Like, he was this guy in the video, he was in the warehouse, you know, he, he, <laughs> like, it, was, it was sort of dark and stuff, and he was, like, rapping, and he, he seemed sort of dangerous, and it seemed sort of, you know... <laughs> Cool. He was in a warehouse and it was <laughs> dark. It was you know, that, that, that has that kind of semiotics, like the, the, it, it's a sign for like, you know, you know, something being dangerous. Like, you know, the same way that Justice Crew do the same thing now. But um, yes. yeah, listening to it now, yeah, it's not. It's Vanilla not Ice is just bad. It's just not. <laughs> like, Casey Atkins? Oh, sorry, Casey, what do you think? Uh, oh, man, I... Um, I really loved it when I was 10 and I knew all of the words and I almost still do. Um, I will still appreciate it on, um, on the level of a song that I liked a lot back then. You know, I, I, I hate having to phrase it like this, but on an ironic level, I um, really still appreciate what it was at the time. Was it the first white rapper yeah. that we remember, you know? Yeah. Um, Beastie before, Boys. Well, or oh, the Beastie Boys, and of course, um, Mike Patton in Epic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. It was great. I, I actually liked, um, when listening to it this week, a couple of little things where, you know, so he had his kind of backing crew and they, for the for the most part, just kind of yell out words with him and then there's those couple of, uh, a couple of instances where it becomes a question and answer with the, you know, um, did you stop? No, I just rolled by, that kind of thing, which I, on listening to it again, I actually really liked and thought it was actually quite clever. <laughs> Tim Coyle? Uh, I remember at the time there was a huge buzz about this song and two of my best friends at school, Nick Moeb and Travis Hargraves, were deeply into it and were insistent that we all perform this at a school assembly. Fortunately, nice. that never came to pass. Yeah, wow. With but the dance? It, with the dance, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it didn't work, possibly because I was letting the side down. <laughs> Nicola, but, Nicola was my family doctor's son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that guy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't quite as sold on it at the time as everyone else seemed to be. I, I found his voice a little obnoxious. Uh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's all I can really remember of it. Listening to it this week, I mean, we spoke about a, a few honkies a few moments ago. Well, <laughs> this guy's the honkiest honky who ever honked. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I love the song when I was growing up, like pretty in the same boat as Casey. I was 10. It's definitely, 10 is definitely the age where I made the effort to learn the lyrics of my favourite songs, and mm. this is definitely one of them. Uh, and trying to learn the lyrics of, I'm not sure if we can talk about it, but Snow's Informer. Informer, oh, we we'll talking about Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Tim, were you going to say something about this song, Tim Byron? Um, I thought I'd already said something about this song, but yeah. Um, I mean, I heard this, I heard Ice Ice Baby, I think, before I heard Under Pressure by Queen and Bowie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so same. I remember hearing Under Pressure, like for the first time and going, oh, I know that riff. And then it was like, that's not Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> what is this? Um, <laughs> no, I, and I, I remember sort of. Under Pressure, like, to me, is it, like, after that riff, it's such a disappointing song. 
because that riff is so the best thing about it. And it's just kind of a song that sort of meanders here and there and nothing really much happens in it. And it's just sort of Bowie doing his thing. and what? Freddie Mercury doing his thing, and that's kind of cool because their things are pretty no, good. But apart from that, it's <laughs> it's not that great. No, uh, I, yeah, I'm with Danny on this. It's, as soon as you said Freddie Mercury doing his thing, I think that sells it already as a great song. So. Hang on, are we talking about Under Pressure or are we talking about Ice Ice Baby? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but still, uh, I agree with Tim Byron that it's the first time that I actually did the backtrack from a sample. Right. Because that song was so big and would still get be, be played sort of triple M during the days. Mm. And it'd come on. Mm. And you'd just be like, oh, hold on, what? That, yeah. that song didn't go the way I thought it was. And they haven't treated the sample. They haven't done anything really. Oh, so, no. It, you, you think that it's um, when you hear the start of Under Pressure. Um, yeah, actually, you think- it feels like it's a lot slower, isn't it? Oh, I don't think it's very different. Mm. Vanilla uh, Ice has actually claimed that it's not a he sample. Added, he added a note. <laughs> um, that that they, they basically recorded it in, so, like, they, they, you know, used a sort of similar kind of sound to it and stuff like that, but he didn't actually sample it, and that's how they were going to get away with it, but no. And, like, yeah, <laughs> Vanilla Ice, yeah, like, I mean, his follow-up single to this was called Play That Funky Music, oh, yeah. which, you know, used that was the, actually the single that Ice Ice Baby was the B-side to, but Ice Ice Baby was the song everyone latched onto, so it was re-released as a single subsequently. Yeah. Is that a fact? Yeah. <laughs> and Play That Funky Music had a bit where, like, you had, like, the people in the background sort of chanting, go white boy, go white boy, go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like, that sunk his career, because he was obviously so, like, terrified about being the white guy who rapped and being so big. And so, like, you know, it was, it was just so obvious that he was fake after that, I think. But, like, yeah, Vanilla Ice is a funny one, like, because, um, like, he was in a relationship with Madonna, and so there's pictures of him in her sex book, um, you know, not wearing much clothing. And I think, like, I recently saw something about how he broke up with Madonna because she made him feel cheap. <laughs> and um, and this is a guy who later, like, spent a lot of time, um, you know, making rap metal and going on the reality TV circuit. He is uh, one of the most extreme cases of an artist with... That's made such a big impact with such a small amount of talent. Huh. He's just, oh, yeah. you know, everyone still knows who he is, but he's just got nothing. He brings nothing to that. Did he even write the song? Like, he's just got very little. Like, I, th- I think he did, and he's also indirectly responsible for, I think, the founding of Death Row Records, because the story is Suge Knight went around to his apartment and had his goons dangle him off a balcony. So the publishing rights would be signed over to Knight. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's a story that's just sounds like an urban myth. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it does. No, in the I Want My MTV book, um, Vanilla Ice talks about that actually happening. Oh, really? So he's he's said that yeah. it has happened. Wow. The other thing with uh, Vanilla Ice um, and that song, I think, is like at this point we were just talking about Elvis before. He really could have been Elvis if he was t- vaguely talented. But he wasn't. <laughs> he was Pat Boone. He was, he was not even <laughs> Yeah, he, the, the, the Vanilla Rice, I mean, yeah, the whole, the, damn it, Elvis don't he know, he ain't no Johnny Cash, well, Vanilla Rice ain't no Elvis. Uh, yeah, I just think this guy, I mean, it's a fun song. It's a great song, I, I loved it back in the day, but I just do not think this man 
Tim Holden Oak. No, he's got nothing. He got, no. He's got nothing. He no. can't barely dance. He, he had, had a funny haircut. He has subsequently come out saying, look, the, my, my lyrical style at the time is actually more in keeping with what's occurred in hip-hop and rap more recently. To a degree, he's correct. The, the boastfulness, the shallow boastfulness and mm. uh, machismo is definitely been something <laughs> that's that's become ever more pervasive. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels like I don't think anyone who's doing great hip-hop music today is inspired oh, no, or starting no. their career because of Vanilla Ice. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a joke. It's a gag song. It's, it's a gag song. You know. Yeah. You, you put it on, it's the song that you put on and people just giggle. But it's the same as um, you can't touch this, really. You know, you hear that song sort of out of context and that opening kind of line and you just, you, you laugh, really, don't you? I, think, I yeah. think You Can't Touch This is a far better song. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It's better, but it's not as good as Buster Move. No, no Buster Move. I think that's the thing. Well, maybe we should get around to that now. Uh, to finish off the podcast as usual, we're going to ask everyone to, from the five songs we sp- spoke about tonight, what is their favourite? And I guess it's just worth going through them once again. So the songs were, as Tim Byron just said, Young MC's Buster Move, Skyhook's Jukebox in Siberia, D-Light's Groove is in the Heart, The Righteous Brothers' Unchained Melody, and Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. Tim Byron. Groove is in the Heart. It, really? It's just a, it's just a great song. Um, of the five, it's the one that I sort of listened to today and I was like, that, there's lots of stuff going on in that. That's interesting. I think it's the one that's lasted the best out of them. Tim Coyle. Uh, oh, it's so difficult to separate Bust Move and Groove is in the Heart for me. I'd say maybe Bust Move wins on penalties, but <laughs> that's, that's kind of what it comes down to for me. Those are, those are two really great songs which have stood up really well. Uh, in a week was just veered from that kind of brilliance to just comedic <laughs> catastrophes. Casey, see the toss up for me is between um, the toss up for me is between Buster Move and Jukebox in Siberia. <laughs> 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 um, but you want to choose the Wiggles? Choose the Wiggles, Casey. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go with yeah. Jukebox in Siberia. I love Buster Move. I really, really do love Buster Move. But I just. Jukebox in Siberia just did something for me this do week. You, do you think fatherhood and being exposed to the Wiggles has maybe brought you around to the song even more? <laughs> not even. Not even. I'm not going to even lean on that. I'm just going to say yeah. I like it for I, being a, uh, a rock song. Well, I'm with you, man. I think it's a great song. and But I think, for me, it's it's Buster Move or it's The Righteous Brothers. I've changed melody. It's just an amazing song for me. So what are you going with? And I think it's, well... You know, if you're going to try and... If you're stuck, then you've got to go with something else. And I've just listened to Unchained Melody a million more times than I've listened to Buster Move, and I think it's just a great song, So, I've got, and that version of it. And it's on my Phil Spector box set that I listen to all the time. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with The Righteous Brothers. Do we have a clear winner then? Or I, I've, I, no, but we have a... I think Buster Move is sort of the clear winner there because we're all sort of like, yeah, we can do Buster Move. It all came down to the toss-up. And, yeah. 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 And maybe that's why Young MC didn't have a career after that. <laughs> it's just millions well, of people. Pe- people walked into the record store, yeah, I like this, but I could totally buy this Ice yeah. Ice Baby. They so just picked up Young MC's <laughs> second record and then put it back. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, well, that wraps it up for podcast number three of 90% Hits. Casey, do you want to tell us where people can find us on the internet? You can find us at um, 90% Hits with percent spelled out in words on words. Gmail, Twitter, and Tumblr. Um, so, yeah, Twitter's up. We haven't twat anything yet, but we will. Um, <laughs> Tumblr's up, Gmail's there. Um, that's all. And we'll be back next week with a very special wrap-up of 1990 where we will all be choosing a song uh, that we love that charted to talk about before we move deeply into 1991. So thank you for listening and join us again next time. It's been seven hours and 15 Last night's bed